All right, grab your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Um, you know, Mitch had mentioned uh, giving to benevolence and that that would help contribute to MBT as a church, our response uh, to help the individuals and families of that crisis, uh, the, the shooting this last week. Uh, let me just make one, one more comment on that. Uh, Mom, Dad, uh, if your kids are in the know about what happened this last week, you want to have a conversation with them. The last thing you want is your kid to start listening to a spirit of fear, right? Your kids need to be able to process that biblically, and children need to know that they're safe. And so that's part of your job as a parent. And so I just want to encourage you uh, to do that. You want to make sure you have a conversation with your kids and, and make sure they know that they're okay. All right, we're going to, this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, verses, you know, 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 through 18. Let's pray before we get to work in the Word. Father, Lord, how critical it is that we rightly divide the Word of truth. And so, Lord, I'm again praying for us as a local church that every member, Lord, we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, minds that believe and hearts that, that receive Your Word. Lord, we want to be good ministers. Lord, You have made each of us as believers in Jesus Christ. You've made us ministers of the gospel. We're ambassadors for Christ. And, and so, Lord, it's critical that we handle the Word of God correctly, that we don't wrongly divide Your Word. And so, God, help us to see the importance this week, um, how, how, how critical it is that, that we set aside the time and the space, that we put away the distractions and we get to work laboring in Your Word. Lord, bless our time as we do just that right now here this morning. Uh, bless us for your glory, and we trust that it'll be to our good, all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> all right, in verse 1, we saw that we were to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus because we've got a mission, verse 2, uh, what has the data set that we've received, the Word of God that we received, it has to be transmitted into the lives of people. And, and so that's going to require our willingness in verse 3 to endure hardship. And in verses 3 and following, we're going to have to work hard if we're going to see reward. There's going to be hard work that if just like the athlete that trains for the race, uh, just like the farmer that, that, that tills his land by the sweat of his brow. We're going to have to labor if we're going to have reward, if we're going to receive the privilege to rule and reign with Christ in his kingdom. And this is a big deal. And so to remind the church of their need to be diligent in the ministry of the Word of God, here's how Paul starts with Timothy. Look at verse 14. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow, and overthrow the faith of some. So here in verses 14 through 18, Paul's dealing with the urgent need 
for God's people to stick to the fundamentals of the faith. The fundamentals, it doesn't matter your endeavor. It could be a ball game, football, baseball, basketball, volleyball, uh, whatever it is, the fundamentals are important to every endeavor, to every discipline. Um, we've got new people here, so maybe some of you guys, you don't know the legend of Dan Renault. I was the college pastor at the Kansas City Baptist Temple, and Dan Renault was a member in my college ministry. Dan, since that time, has, uh, you know, he was a member here at MBT. He was the first pastor of the college and young adult ministry here at MBT, and then got, got a hold of his heart for church planting, and, and several years ago, we sent him and a team across town to plant a church in Lee Summit. He's now the senior pastor of Living Faith Lee Summit. I've got news for you. Dan was not always the senior pastor of Living Faith Lee Summit. And so he was a young kid, and, and our church had a big gym, and, and so we, every year, we would do a, a series of volleyball games. We'd do it as an outreach, and I was a volleyball team captain, and Dan was on my team, and, and uh, every time he could get I mean, if he could get a hand on the ball, it was, he would try to, I mean, no matter where he was at, he was trying to spike it. He was going for the win every time he touched the ball. And I would get so frustrated with him. I remember yelling at him, Dan, you can't win the game with one spike. Right? I wanted him to stick to the fundamentals. In volleyball, it's bump, set, and then spike. Let's do that every time. We'll have a better shot at actually getting something done. That ball comes to you, Dan. You don't spike it, you, you bump. And if somebody bumps it to you, you don't spike it, you, you set. And nobody, nobody, said to, nobody said to Dan. <laughs> because he refuses to square up on the ball, and he ends up always just toinking it off into the bleachers. I mean, he would play hard and, and not get anything done. I mean, it was just very frustrating. Here, Paul is basically communicating something very similar. Timothy, you've got the job of a workman in the Word, and you need, to remind, you need to remind God's people that they do too. They need to stick with the fundamentals. Make sure the church keeps the fundamentals of the faith first. And so, in this passage, Paul is giving Timothy the job of a workman in the Word. You need to know your stuff. You need to train so that you can perform correctly. This is the task that we have, and so let's pick it up again in verse 14. Paul starts out with these words, of these things, put them in remembrance. Of these things, what things? Well, the things of verses 1 through 13. Paul is telling Timothy, remind God's people, remind them of what is true. It's just like what Paul did in verse 8. He, he reminds Timothy, verse 8, he says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. So before Paul had told Tim to remember that you have to have the right death. That's pretty critical. A lot of people, you know, especially if you're young, you're not thinking about death. But the Bible says, it is appointed unto man once to die. And if you keep living, eventually you'll get old. If you keep living, eventually you'll die. I mean, that's just the way this thing works. It is appointed unto man once to die. Death is inevitable, right? Isn't it? I mean, absent the rapture of the church, you're going to die. Tell your neighbor, you're going to die. 
some of you are like, nope, I'm not telling that. It's true. Absent the rapture of the church, you're going to die. So get this down in your notes. Since you're going to die anyway, make sure that you have the right death. Because Paul says in verse 11, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with Him, we shall also live with Him. Hello, somebody. Make sure that your death is, is, is in, the, it's in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure it's with Jesus. If you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, if, if, if Jesus dwells in your heart by faith, then you know what you have? You have incredible life insurance. Whenever I recognized that my sin separated me from God and I saw the truth, the efficacy, just the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when I saw the finished work at Calvary for what it was, that God died for my sin, His blood was shed to wash my sin away, and then if I would believe on the risen Savior, if I'd call on Him for forgiveness, mercy, and salvation, He gave it to me, changed my life. Now, my life is no longer sourced in my beating heart. It's not sourced in my flesh. My life is Christ. My life is hidden God in the person of Christ Himself. And talk about good life insurance, because just as surely as Christ died and rose from the grave, right, and now lives forever, so also I will surely rise to eternal life, and you will too if you believe on Jesus. Listen, your heart might stop beating one day. Absent Christ coming for His bride, uh, eventually the day will come when your heart will stop beating, but 1 Corinthians 15 says when Christ comes for His bride, well, the mortal puts on immortality. Praise the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter 4 says very clearly that the dead in Christ rise first. First Thessalonians 4 verse 16, for the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Man, what an incredible promise that is to the believer. Paul's reminding Timothy, make sure you have the right death, right? Make sure God's people know that they have the right death. Just to, I mean, you want to you Roman 6 this thing. You want to be completely immersed in the person of Christ. You want to be crucified with Him, you want to be buried with Him, you want to be resurrected with Him. We need to keep the first things first. Paul tells Timothy to remind his people of these facts. Don't let anybody tell you different. Why? Don't let, you, don't let anybody give you anything else. Why? Well, because there's people out there, they're wolves in sheep's clothing, and they're preying on God's people. They're coming with other doctrine, they've got another message from the Bible, and literally, he calls them a pain. They're a pain in the collective keister of the church. You know what a keister is, right? Well, the Lord bless you and your studies. Okay, they're a pain. I mean, he literally calls them pains. He calls them a canker. A canker is gangrene corrupting the body. It's like an ulcer, right? It's, 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 it, but, but it's infected. I mean, it's gangrene. It's eating the flesh. It's destroying the body. It's gross. Let the whole church say, ugh, yuck. So this is why he says in verse 16, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. 
and their word will eat as doth a canker. It's like gangrene. And you know who's selling this, this, this body of Christ destroying trash? Well, it's Hymenaeus, uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus? Here's what they did, verse 18, who concerning the truth have erred. How did they err? How did they mishandle the word of God? Saying that the resurrection has passed already. And people heard them, they believed them. What's the result of that? And overthrow the faith of some. They were tripping up God's people by teaching that the resurrection was past already. You missed the rapture. All you're pointed to now is wrath. And they ended up overthrowing the faith of some people because, I mean, read Ephesians chapter 4. The false winds of doctrine are always blowing. And if you don't know the truth, if you're not established, if you're not firm in the truth, you'll fall for it. And you'll believe a lie. They're tripping up God's people. You miss the rapture, enjoy tribulation. These blowhards, the internet gives them all platform and reach. False teaching is multiplying at exponential rates. So here, some people, they believe the lie and they thought, well, since they missed the resurrection, why bother trying to live the Christian life anymore? What's the point now? Might as well get what we can from the world while we can. We should just eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we're dead anyway. So get this down in your notes. This is key. Bad doctrine always produces failure of faith and dysfunction in Christian living. Did you get that? Bad doctrine produces failure of the faith and dysfunction in Christian living. I'll give you an example of this. It's parallel to the, to the example that Paul gives in Scripture. You've got people today, and their number is growing, that teach that we're looking for the rise of the Antichrist versus the return of Christ for His church. So instead of getting your eyes fixed on heaven from which cometh the Savior, instead of teaching the doctrine of the imminent return of Christ, in other words, nothing has to happen prophetically before Christ raptures, catches away His bride. No, 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 you're not looking for that. They're teaching that you are to be looking for the rise of Antichrist. You've got people in the church that believe that the church is going to go through part or all of the time of tribulation. And as such, people aren't looking, they don't have the view anymore, hey, I've only got today to witness to my family. I've only got today to lead my neighbor, to, my neighbor or my coworker to Christ. No, no, no. They know it's not today because the Antichrist hasn't been revealed yet. They don't have a timeline yet because we don't know who's demanding the mark of the beast. And so instead of looking for Jesus to return and catch them away, they're looking for the Antichrist. And as such, I mean, they're focused on prepping, not evangelizing. There's no zeal to see souls saved. Their zeal instead is to be right in what they believe. And they're not very fruitful They're not very fruitful at all. Typically, they spend their time just focused and obsessing on their pet doctrines, their pet false doctrine. There's no zeal to see souls saved. And and I mean, think about it. If, If I believed that, if I didn't believe that the church, I mean, I just be very clear here. I believe that we could be raptured at any moment. We may not get this, we may not get through this sermon. And we'll hear the trumpet, we'll hear the voice of the archangel. I kind of believe, if we're going to put down dibs on what he's going to say, I think he's going to shout, come up hither, but that's just what I think. 
and we're all going to be raptured. I mean, we'll see the dead in Christ rise first. We which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. That can happen today. Nothing is in the way of that taking place. If I didn't believe that, if I believed instead that the Antichrist had to be revealed first, okay, now what? What's my focus? Well, I'm, I'm flat watching the news to see who that cat could be. And if I believe that, I'm a terrible pastor if I'm not leading you to be good preppers because you're going to have to deal with the Antichrist. And so, you know, it's all about living off grid and having your stockpiles and, you know, keep your weapons and your ammo dry. And I mean, all of that. I mean, I got to do all of that. Why? Because, uh, you know, rough times are coming. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. We're appointed to rapture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, not wrath, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, right? Christ, what, he's going to put his bride through the time of great tribulation? No. Okay, so what they do, their, their zeal is in nailing down these pet doctrines, and instead of what, you know what your king told you to do? He told you to go into all the world preaching the gospel. Those that believe and receive it, you disciple them. That's the mission that the king told us to do. Amen? That's the job that we were given. All these guys that, that think the church is going to go through the tribulation, they're not obsessed with winning souls, making disciples, and training them to go. Do you see the problem? A false teaching produces an increase in ungodliness. We're not, we're not on mission. We're not on task. We're going a way that's right in our own eyes. This is why Paul is telling Timothy to remind God's people of his promises. Paul told Timothy the same thing in his last letter to him, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. He tells him to put the church in remembrance. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, he's talking about how it gets off the rails in the end times. And, and so he tells him, if thou, put the, if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ. So get this down in your notes, reminding God's people, right? Reminding people what is true in God's Word, that's the hallmark of a good minister. You're doing a good job leading people if you're reminding them of the fundamentals. You're reminding them what the Word says. You want to be a good minister for the Lord? Then you need to make sure that you're encouraging those around you in the fundamentals of the faith. This is such a big deal. This is so critical. Peter understood this. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 12, he says, wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it's proper. I think it's meet. I think it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Why? Well, I'm not long for this world, he says, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, after my decease, to have these things always in your remembrance. Okay, listen, this is critical. When God puts you over someone in ministry, you now have the responsibility to train them, but also to remind them of the fundamentals of the faith. How do you do that? Well, you guys know the price of learning is what? It's repetition. The price of learning is repetition. People continue to learn by being reminded of the truth that they already know, but maybe have forgotten. They need to get it back in their frontal lobes. When you do that, look at what Peter 
says the result will be. In verse 13, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he says you'll stir up God's people in faith. Verse 15 says you'll build them up to stand on their own long after God moves you on from their life. The people that you're investing in, you're training up the elder, is training up the younger, you're not going to always be there. Or God may move you to another field. They need to be established in the truth. So you want to equip them to stand on their own. So you have the responsibility to remind them of the fundamentals of the faith. It's imperative that we do it. If we don't do it, a couple of jerks like Hymenaeus and Philetus will come along, and they always do, and they're going to utter false teaching and overthrow the faith of the child of God that was in your care. And that's catastrophe. We can't let that happen. They have to be equipped. Now, if you're newer to the faith, if you're young in the Lord, I want you to get this down. It's going to save you a lot of grief when some canker comes around with some new revelation. So concerning anything, any teaching from the Bible, concerning any biblical doctrine or truth, here it is. If it's new, it's not true. But if it's true, it's definitely not new. Nothing is original with us. It's always been in the Bible. Some truth you may have discovered or learned for the first time as an individual, and it's always a great delight to discover some truth in God's Word that you've never seen or heard before. Man, praise the Lord. That happens to people all the time, and it's good. But let me tell you something. You didn't originate that truth. You, you're not the original author of that doctrine or that teaching or that application from Scripture. Others found it before you did. It's just new to you. Praise the Lord. But if you found something in the Bible that's new to everybody, right? You're the source of new doctrine. I've got news for you. You're wrong. Go back to the Bible. Get it right. And you know how I know this? You know how I know that you're wrong? You've got some new insight that nobody else has ever seen? I know you're wrong because of John chapter 14, verse 26. Jesus said in John 14, 26 that He's going to send the teacher. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, He shall teach you all things. What things? And bring all things to your remembrance. What things? Whatsoever I've said unto you. The doctrine that the Holy Spirit brings is from the Word of God. The Holy Ghost is teaching you the truth, and guess what? God is consistent. He's not going to teach you some new thing that He never taught anybody else ever. He's never going to teach you anything that has no basis in Scripture. If it's new, some wild new doctrine, it's not true. If it's true, other people have seen it before you. I know you're smart. I know you've got insight, but you're not the first one. All right, look at the second thing that Paul has for us this morning. Look at the second part of verse 14. So you need to remind God's people, and then you need to charge them, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. So point number two, you want to charge God's people. We need to charge those that are under us in ministry to stick to the fundamentals of the faith versus getting caught up with every new crazy gust of false teaching that comes along. Don't fall for the blowhards. Don't listen to the cankers. And notice the result of this false doctrine. If you buy into it, what's the result in verse 14? Anybody? Anybody? 
Subversion, that's the result. They're subverted, the subverting of the hearers. And this is a big theme in the Pauline epistles, especially as he relates this concept to Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 with me. He told Timothy to abide still at Ephesus. I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Some of these growing leaders got the bit in their teeth, and they're teaching something that's not faithful to what was delivered to them. Charge them that they teach no other doctrine. Verse 4, make sure that they don't give heed to fables and endless genealogies. All that does is minister questions. All it does is subvert the hearers rather than godly edifying, which is in the faith, so do. Chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, refuse profane and old wives' fables. 1 Timothy 6, verse 2, these things teach and exhort. Don't teach and exhort what you want to, what you're coming up with. No, you teach what I told you to teach. That's what Paul's telling Timothy. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, here's what he really is. He is proud, knowing nothing. He thinks he knows everything. He knows nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh And look at the list, whereof cometh the subverting of the hearers, envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt mind and destitute of the truth, supposing the gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. There are people that are teaching false doctrine and they're subverting the hearers. Look at chapter 6, 1 Timothy 6, verse 20, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Don't come up with anything new, avoiding profane and vain babblings and opposition of science falsely so-called. So you got people coming with new insight, new data, and they're telling God's people, trust the science, and they're lying, which some professing have erred. They've been subverted, converting the, uh, some, of prof- some professing these profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so-called, they've erred concerning the faith. They've been subverted. Notice, look at 2 Timothy 2 verse 14 again, and notice the vert in the word subverting, V-E-R-T. You can add a number of prefixes. You can, any number of prefixes to the word vert, and you get all kinds of different meanings. The, the word vert means to turn, turns your next blank. So if I convert someone, if I convert someone, I'm turning them over, right? If I subvert someone, I'm turning them under. If I revert someone, I'm turning them back. If I divert someone, what am I doing? Well, now I'm turning them aside. You see that? You just add different prefixes to vert, and you get all these different meanings. An introvert is somebody who has a turned-in personality. An extrovert is someone who has a turned-out personality, right? It's an external vert, an external turning. And then there's the pervert, and you well know the definition. Young people, if you don't know what a pervert is, get some parental guidance in looking it up. Here's the key, subvert means to turn under. So instead of converting the hearers to faith in Christ, 
Instead of godly edifying of the faith of the hearers, it subverts them. It overthrows their faith. Verse 16 calls it shun, uh, but shun profane and vain babblings. Why? Because that leads people to ungodliness. They will increase unto more ungodliness, and that's the result. Ungodliness is your next blank. Verse 17 says, it rots the church, and the word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred. They're not handling the truth correctly. They've erred, saying the resurrection has passed already, and overthrow the faith of some. So here you got two guys who are teaching false doctrine. In 1 Timothy, Paul mentions Hymenaeus and Alexander. So Hymenaeus gets around. This is not, this is not the first go-round with this, with this canker. Uh, and so he delivered them unto Satan. And he says why in 1 Timothy 1 verse 20, that they may learn not to blaspheme. What they're teaching blasphemes. You know what Hymenaeus and Philetus' problem was? It says here in verse, 17, er, verse 18, that concerning the truth, they have erred. They've made a mistake. Now, what truth? What is truth? Well, look at verse 15. Those that labor in the Word of God must be what? Rightly dividing the Word of truth. Right? It's the Word of truth. We're talking about the Word of God. In John 17, 17, Jesus says, He's praying over His disciples, and He tells God, set them apart through Thy truth. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. Back in the day, Kansas City Baptist Temple was taking a lot of teams out to other churches teaching the biblical philosophy of discipleship. And a team of pastors was meeting with another team of pastors in Springfield, Missouri, and they're laying this out. And they said one of the goals, one of the, one of the objectives of biblical discipleship is to establish new disciples, growing disciples, new believers in the truth of God's Word. And one of the pastors in that staff meeting or in that, uh, in that discipleship meeting uh, pipes up and he says, well, how do you, you know, that's pretty subjective. And he literally said, what is truth? It's like, bro, have you ever read your Bible? This is the truth. This is the objective standard for absolute truth. Science has declared this null and void so many times. And as science evolves, right, as it keeps growing and evolving and as the knowledge keeps increasing, science keeps finding out that the Bible's been right all along. This is truth. And what Hymenaeus and Philetus is doing is they're taking the Word of God and they're, they're messing it up. How? Well, look at, first, or look at uh, uh, verse uh, 15. Here's the command to the minister. Grow, you know, if you're a growing leader, pay, pay attention to this. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Why? Well, because you rightly divide the word of truth. That's why. This is the key to not being ashamed before the Lord. You get to the judgment seat of Christ, and then you find out that you were teaching everybody, I mean, everybody wrong all the time, and it didn't lead to them being stirred up in their faith. It didn't lead to them being established in the faith. It didn't lead to them being uh, correct doctrinally, and so as a result, 
fruitful ministerially. Uh, you, L, you erred, and, and, and then it comes out that you overthrew the faith of some people. You will be ashamed before the Lord Jesus Christ. That will happen. You'll, you will wish that you had your life back. <laughs> you will wish that you could go back and correct that error. This is the key to not being ashamed before God. You rightly divide. You don't guess. You rightly divide the word of truth. Now that, I mean, I can't help but wonder, like how many of you this morning actually, do you really know the truth? Do you really know God's word for yourself? Do you understand what it's saying? Do you understand how it applies to your life? Some of you, I got news for you, you're just relying on what you're hearing, and you've never studied it out for yourself. Some of you, you're just relying on what you heard, and you don't know God's Word for yourself. And when the false doctrine is targeted at you, you will be vulnerable to that attack. You've never done the work. You've never studied to show yourself approved unto God. You are relying on your pastor to know what's true. You're relying on your discipler to know what's true. You're relying on, you know, whoever. You're, you're relying on your Bible study leader, your, your, your small group leader, to know what is true. They can't know God's truth for you. You have to know it yourself. I wonder what would happen if I were captured by some evil organization and they replaced me with my evil clone. And then next Sunday, it's not Pastor Sam, really, in the pulpit, it's evil Sam. It's my evil clone, and he opens the Bible, and, and uh, my evil clone begins to, pre- I mean, preach and teach false doctrine, all with the goal of subverting you. All with the goal of overthrowing your faith. I wonder if you would catch it, or would you fall for it? You know, pastors do it all the time. All the time, pastors change their doctrine. And they go from truth right into error because that's what's popular. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Everybody's on that path. Would you catch it? Would you catch it if I was at work to turn this into a a Word of Faith church because I wanted to get rich? That's always the objective. When people are teaching a Word of Faith doctrine, brother, sister, you need to get full of faith and you need to give. You need to give. And God will bless that seed of faith and it'll come back to you tenfold, fiftyfold, a hundredfold. You know, and they fleece God's people because they need another jet because what they're doing is so important. They want to live that lifestyle. I mean, evil clones <laughs> subverting the faith of God's people. Would you catch it? Are you a workman that needs not to be ashamed? Do you know God's Word to the point that no false teacher of false doctrine can throw you? The only way that that will happen, the only way that you can be sure of what you believe is you will have to study it out. Study to show yourself approved. It's called being a workman. The key word in workman is work. You got to be willing to roll up your sleeves, so to speak. Your discipler, your Bible study leader, your pastor, they cannot know your Bible for you. They can help you. I mean, Ephesians chapter 4, they're there to help you grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to know the Word of God for yourself. They're there to help you, but they can't know it in your place. They can't know it for you. You have to know it. You have to study. This, you know, 2 Timothy 2.15, this is the passage in your Bible that directly commands the believer to study their Bible. 
Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. We were talking about this several years ago uh, in, in a staff meeting, and I think it was Chris Miller that brought it up. He says, uh, you ever notice what the ESV says there? Let's go ahead and throw the ESV up. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Well, there's some pretty key critical changes there, isn't there? Do your best. Just handle it best you can, right? Rightly handling the word of truth. Uh, look at the NIV. Same thing. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. I got news for you. Your best won't cut it. You know, you can do your best and still be wrong. Oh, I did my best. I did my best. Well, if it's wrong, I'm sorry, you're suffering loss. You know, being wrong can be deadly, and it can overthrow the faith of some. The command is to rightly, to rightly divide the word of truth. There's a right way to do it. That means there's a wrong way to do it. So you have to study so you don't do it the wrong way. You have to study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And that means what? You're going to have to put aside some stuff. You're going to have to make some space in your life. Maybe you need, to, you need to figure out some time where you lock your cell phone up so it's not distracting you. Maybe you end a couple of streaming services so it's not distracting you. Uh, you set some time to be quiet. Uh, get that first cup of coffee down so you can think, so that your brain's awake. And then just spend some time studying and laboring in order to get your Bible down for yourself. Do you do that? People say, well, I read guideposts for Christian living. I read a psalm a day to keep the devil away. Okay, that's nice. That's fine. You can do that. But that will not keep you out of heresy. That will not keep you from becoming a false teacher. So many people, they get some insight in some place, some passage, and they don't know how to reconcile it with the rest of Scripture. They get the bit in their teeth, and now they're a heretic because they don't know their Bible. Now, the next time we get together, we're going to look at the positive message, right, the positive aspect of verse 15. Verse 15 is the key to doctrinal stability in the Christian faith. And so, I don't know what you've got going on next week, but uh, you don't want to miss that. All right? You need to make sure that you don't miss our time together next week. If you're going to be out of town, rearrange your plans. You need to be here. Bring a doctrinally fuzzy person with you. Okay? You need to be there or be subverted. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I love you guys. Father, Lord, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we recognize our need to study, to labor. We want to be, I mean, you made each of us to be a member that builds up the faith of the other members of this local church. All of us have this responsibility. You've made us, every member, to be a minister. And so we need to know what to do. We need to know what to say. We need to know what your Bible tells us to do. We need to know what your word actually says. 
We need to know what is said to who, when, and why, so that we don't misapply doctrinal truth to one people in another age or another dispensation and try to apply it to the church today and end up in heresy. Lord, we need this. Lord, so many of your people need to take that next step. How many would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I recognize I haven't done the work. I don't know my Bible like I should, and would you pray for me? I need to roll up my sleeves, and I need to study. I need to take that time. Would you pray for me? Can I see your hands? All right, Lord, there's several of us. Lord, would you help us to not just recognize our need, but to actually take the next steps, whether that's starting as a disciple, um, whether that's signing up for LFBI, joining a Bible study group. What's that next step so that we can start so that we got help, so we've got, got guardrails on our personal study of your word. How many would say, Pastor, pray for me? I'm not sure I'm even saved. We had two people in the first service raise their hand. I'm not saved. Pray for me. I'm not saved. I don't know that I'm, I'm born again. I don't know that God is my Father and Christ is my Savior and Lord. Pastor, would you pray for me? I need to be saved. Can I see your hands? Is there anybody like that in the second service? I don't know that I'm born again. Please pray for me. Let me see, let me see your hands. I want to pray for you. In a room this big with this many people, there's someone that does not know Christ as Lord and Savior. I mean, I'm just saying statistically that's the case. And the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Father, please, if there are any here today that don't know Christ, they don't know you as their Father, Lord, I'm praying that you would strip the lies of the enemy away, God, that you'd pour out your Spirit in conviction and let them see the truth of your Word, that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that they can be born again, have their sin washed away, and be in right relationship with you. Lord, you're God, and we're your people, and we need your blessing over our life, and so we ask you for it today in Jesus' name, amen.